Hey now, thanks for joining us. Other people call me Paul. And if you have slogged through all of our first 14 episodes and you're here, first of all, uh, those are hours you're not going to get back. But also, congratulations, you've made it to the end of our first season of the 3DL for Undergraduate Science Podcast. Becky, I'm pretty sure that you have not listened to all 14 episodes. Is that true? Um, I think I'm at 13. So that's Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I participated in most of those and then didn't listen to the cut version. Does that count? I think that counts. Um, no. And, whatever. I don't really remember what we've talked about anyway, so it's probably a smart decision to not listen, not re-listen. I do want to thank you, though, for your uh, 12 hours of work on this. I'd say each episode takes a solid hour of your time, you know, to point your mouse at the right buttons and turn on your microphone. I don't know. I feel like it takes at least double. Hmm. I think I did three episodes by myself in the beginning, so that mm-hmm. makes twelve for you. Mm-hmm. I should say twelve plus all the all the pre work and follow up you do, so that makes twelve plus zero is twelve total. That's the revised estimate. Ouch! Ouch! I hope you have a nice co-host for season two. <laughs> oh, oh no! Sad. Well, seriously, you've you've definitely saved several episodes from complete crash and burn on my part. <laughs> I think you put our um, subjects at ease. We'd also probably only have half of our listeners without you because your mom wouldn't be listening. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, it's, mom. It's been, it's, <laughs> thanks, thanks, mom. And thanks, Becky. It's been fun. And whether, whether we keep going or not, you're definitely appreciated. I hope that you will consider joining us in the future. Um, in our season finale, we get to talk to another person you know well. You even mm-hmm. taught with a class with her, right? Yeah. Spent a lot of nights in the chemistry building doing review sessions and lots of long days grading exams. And yeah, I got to know her fish and her tank and her office and all that, which I hope we'll get to. Yeah. that's Fish seems like it makes a good topic. I'm hoping that Limery's also going to give us the uh, lowdown on what the grownups of higher ed spend their time doing. And... Maybe what it might take to get the words three-dimensional learning spraying out of their mouths a little more. Let's see see what happens. Sounds good. Hi, my name is Lynn Marie Posey, and for me, three-dimensional learning makes teaching more intellectually engaging and satisfying because it helps me to see how my students are thinking about chemistry and allows me to better respond to their ideas. Three-dimensional learning is also liberating. It has freed me to focus on ideas that are really important to understanding chemistry and to let go of what isn't. Whoa, nice. Well, the good news is I don't have to ask any follow-up questions. (laughs) You definitely get the A++ out of everybody. <laughs> well, you know, I, I started thinking about it yesterday, and by this morning I could write something down. So <laughs> There was no word limit. It was a, it's a nebulous blank we leave there. <laughs> You're right. It is nebulous. <laughs> Hi, Lynn Marie. Hi, Paul. First, first thing I have to do is I really have to Thank you for your name, because without it, I would never remember my neighbor's dog's name. (laughs) Is that nice or rude? I'm not sure. I'm just saying, I would totally forget it if it, so the 
It's not Lynn Marie, but it is Posey, so it's your last name. Oh. <laughs> I'll never remember that. <laughs> so you really helped me out there. Um, maybe it's too early to ask how your day's going, but how about your week? The weeks all run together. I feel like we're on we're on rinse, rinse, and uh, repeat. I have something exciting that happened um, this week, and it's that I got my first vaccine. And I got it mm. at Ford Field, which almost made me want to become a Lions fan. And Gretchen Whitmer got her vaccine the same day, at, also at Ford Field on the same day. So I was like looking around for Big Gretch, but I didn't see her. But still, I was happy to know that <laughs> we were there on the same day. Big fun. Gretch. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, I think she was like in her marketing team or something. I don't know. I would definitely reconsider the becoming a Lions fan thing, though. But um, <laughs> yeah, Marie Becky reminded me that um, that you used to have a a big old fish tank in the chemistry building before BC before COVID. Um, how have the fish fared since last March? Did you have to like fry them up or bring them home in a <laughs> Ziploc bag? Well, the tank is still there. Somebody makes a trip to the chemistry building every day to feed them. The oh, tank wow. is very is very neglected. I need to get in there and and do some do some cleaning. But um, yeah, the fish are still hanging in there. Wow! So they let you in even in the like last March and April and stuff. You could go in to feed them. So um, I, got, I got I got a podcast. <laughs> I got a got a got a letter that said that um, you know basically I had permission to come in and check on things. It fell under, I guess, the the uh, live animal exception. <laughs> Somebody's got to feed the mice too. Yeah. Um, Actually, when I was in the hub, I had all these plants in there, and they were like, sometimes the facilities people would come through because they were talking with folks about the move to the new building, and um, they would be like, "Well, you know, you're not supposed to have any plants in here, and you know, because it's like a live organism." And I was like. What about our quality of life? You know, so, it's not I, concrete. Yeah. Only concrete in the hub. Yeah, only only concrete, concrete plants allowed. Post-it notes and Play-Doh. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway, all right, we'll stop messing around in a second, Limery. But I want, but I was just wondering, um, have you found yourself doing anything more over the past year besides staring at Zoom a hundred times more than I used to? <laughs> yeah, so there's like. I feel like I'm spending more time on on cleanup duty. Some reacting. Yeah, that's. I think that's the thing that's been most challenging about the about the past year, is like I, I'm in this new role and I feel like mm -hmm. I spend all my time uh, reacting. I wonder if you could give our listeners a quick rundown of what your official like jobs are at MSU, but then also how those roles translate into what you actually end up spending your time doing? So I'm a faculty member in the Department of Chemistry. And so in that role, I generally teach in the introductory level as well as junior level physical chemistry courses. I have research interests in looking at the relationship between students' understanding of mathematics and how that impacts their understanding of chemistry. Since August of 2020, in August 2020, I joined the dean's office in the College of Natural Science as the associate dean for undergraduate studies. And I like to say that the job involves all things undergraduate. 
So I um, frat am parties. involved. <laughs> frat parties. <laughs> actually, that does not actually that does not <laughs> fall in my domain. We have a okay, okay. we have a Thanks. separate office at MSU for that. <laughs> <laughs> But in that role, the job touches on curriculum, advising and student student success, career development, policy related to undergraduate programs. So as a member of the leadership team in the College of Natural Science, I see myself as one of one of the voices for for undergraduates. Cool. This, you know, group and podcast is about 3DL. And I was um I was thinking about all your different kind of positionalities with regard to 3DL at Michigan State. So here's my cheesy metaphor. If 3DL was a car, you've you've worked in the factory to like retool it and you've been a mechanic tweaking it and helping you keep it running. You've, um, you've test driven it and then you like use it as a daily driver. And now you're even working up, your, you're going over to the used car lot trying to sell it. <laughs> maybe i should uh kind of decipher that for people but but so you were a you were a, a fellow in the you know in the at that point the stem gateway fellowship then you you know you you sat in on um some courses that were kind of already th- going 3d and you're able to co-teach uh, the chemistry clue curriculum with melanie then you joined the research team or i don't know about the thens or you know that's not really the point, but you are part of the research team, you know, developing this assessment protocol and the observation protocol, and you're still ongoing, big contributor to that team. And you use 3DL actually as a practitioner to write learning objectives and assessment and design instruction. And now in my mind, you're like taking that precious little bundle of experience and insight up the ladder to the the suits who get to decide whether we're worthy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be supported with money and people and all that nice institutional support. So that was a lot, but that's because it was a lot. <laughs> that um, that level of commitment suggests that you've bought in. So so why, as a very smart person by any indicator, why why do you believe in in this thing that called three dimensional learning? So I I think one of the things that's really attractive to me about about three-dimensional learning is that it really opens up possibilities for students. It gives students multiple ways of showing how they, in my case, how they understand chemistry. And I guess part of this is when I can contrast what a general chemistry course looks like with three-dimensional learning and without, Mm -hmm. a traditional general chemistry course on many levels, is an applied math course. So um, it's really very heavily focused on doing chemistry-related calculations. And that actually excludes a significant number of students who you know, arrive at the university with less developed um, backgrounds in, math- in mathematics. And it do- that doesn't mean that they can't understand chemistry, but it does mean that they do often struggle with doing the chemical arithmetic. Mm-hmm. The other thing about three-dimensional learning is when you, when you look at what we're now asking students to do in general chemistry, 
it really is focused on understanding chemistry. And we're actually asking them to do more sophisticated things than we ever did in the traditional course in terms of being able to explain why um, you know mo- molecules interact with each other in the ways that they do, why they react the way that they do, and that's fundamentally chemistry. So why is that the case that chemistry is so it's, it's like um, standing up math in the name of science kind of why are the, why have classes um, kind of developed that way or stayed that way? You know, I guess I have the sense that that's you know that's the way. That's the way it's been done for a long for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think you know if you look at general chemistry textbooks, they are all structured very similarly. And so, if you choose you choose to teach your course and use one of the you know standard general chemistry textbooks, mm-hmm. there's there's certain content. I think there's also an element of you know people teach the way that they learned in a, in a discipline. And so that's mm. how, that, that's how it should be, how, how it should be, be taught. I think that's definitely, you know, in, in my own experience as a chemistry student, I remember basically through high school, you know, feeling like I was a great chemistry student. And then when I got to organic in college, I realized that I didn't know a lot of chemistry and it was really that I was, you know, a proficient at, proportional reasoning and the basic kind of mathematical manipulations and stuff. And so, you know, even for students who are quote, who can make it through that kind of introductory level, they're still not set up. I think, you know, or speaking personally, I feel like, you know, it still wasn't set up as well for later um, for chemistry content, you know, than I would have been if I'd had sort of introductory kind of three-dimensional courses. And the other thing I wanted to add or mention is that, having a chemistry, an introductory chemistry course be very mathematic, mathematics heavy also places a burden on the instructors to be able to address those, you know, mathematics difficulties in a way that they're not really prepared to do. In a bio class, I remember, um, you know, a student asking about, um, they were asking about ratios, like ratios of, you know, different one phenotype to another phenotype. And why was the calculation this way instead of another way? And just sort of, you know, we both my co-instructor and I we were just like, well, we don't, we don't know how to teach ratios. Like this is what it is, you know. We don't know how to tell how to help you with that. So, I feel like that's another good reason that 3DL is. It's a benefit to the instructors too. Hmm. Uh, I taught high school math, and I was around middle school a little bit of that. The idea that you can just spit out, you can just teach somebody ratios or proportional reasoning or whatever is not a thing like that's something that it builds over a long time and yeah. you know you get real limited face time in college yeah little different direction are do you think that we're starting to get more than uh like gut feeling <laughs> or anecdotal support for the idea that more that 3dl should be more like widespread and especially in intro level college courses can we say that yet i I think on a local level, I think we're I think we're making some progress um, for people who worry about um, DFW rates. Our gate the gateway courses in the College of Natural Science, I guess, are no longer at the top of the DFW watch list. Mm. 
And you actually have to go, I mean, you have to go pretty far down the list to find introductory um, science courses, which was not the case previously. That's great. I have a weird question. Is there any chance that 3DO could cause harm in any way? Could it? I'll leave it there. I don't, I mean, I don't see um, any harm caused. I wonder, um, the only thing that came to mind was this interaction I had with a student where um, the beginning, uh, like the first day of class, um, and this again was in that bi- in the bio class I mentioned before, but the first day of class, it was like this big interactive activity and students were um, collecting data from others around the room with res- you know, respect to some, I don't know, some physical characteristic and you know, they were going to be graphing the data. It was kind of like along the lines of the practice of analyzing and interpreting data. And um, this student came up to me and said, um, is this what it's going to be like? you know, is this what this class is going to be like? And, you know, we were like, uh-huh. Yep. And he said, okay, I'm going to switch to another section. You know, <laughs> yeah. At least in that student's experience, it felt sort of unusual. It was more interactive. Um, you know, and we've talked a lot about the, the sort of the relationship between active learning and 3DL. So it's not necessarily a one-to-one street, but a lot of times they go hand in hand. Um, mm. And so that was the only, that was the only sort of place or, or way that I sort of saw, you know, somebody going like, like kind of having an allergic reaction to like, <laughs> to, to doing yeah. it. So I wondered if, I wondered if you ever seen anything like that in chemistry or, you know, if you've heard about that through physics or any of the other STEM courses or anything like that, that have been kind of biting on 3DL. So I guess I wouldn't call this harm, but I do see that it can cause some discomfort. Hmm. Because, and that discomfort, I think, comes primarily from students who have already figured out, you know, how to play school, how to be, how to be Mm -hmm. successful. And now that's being, um, their strategy for success are no longer as effective as they were um, previously. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, you're, you're changing the paradigm you know, and because of that, they, they're maybe not as receptive, at least initially to, mm. um, doing things differently. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet if this was happening years ago, I would have been one of those students probably. Um, I don't know that I would have like vocally said a lot, but I in my, <laughs> probably wouldn't have been happy about it. But, you know, as I've gotten older, I realized that some discomfort is definitely part of growth mm-hmm. maybe let's think about the adults in the room not us but other adults so given all your experience with it and and time spent talking to people about it what do you think are some of the the costs that people perceive of say even just like to dabble in 3 dl <laughs> why would people kind of put up a fight i think you know there's the cost associated with getting up to speed with 3dl there's costs associated with, you know, restructuring a course that maybe somebody's taught for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody who has tried to implement 3DL in their courses will tell you that it takes more time to develop 
assessments, both formative and um, summative. You know, three-dimensional multiple-choice questions are hard to write. I think there's no there's no getting around it. And also in the large course context, asking constructive response questions can be can be daunting mm-hmm. because you're left with okay, so I can ask these questions, but how are we going to get them graded? How are we going to provide feedback to to students? Mm-hmm. So you're saying uh, none of those things are. Um have easy fixes associated with them. <laughs> but uh, outside of, we'll get, maybe we'll get to the structural things in a minute, but um, what can we do to try to uh, mitigate those perceived costs or make them feel better about it <laughs> as you just, you know, kind of on a personal level when you're talking to other instructors? Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the things, um, I guess, in terms of, you know, thinking about, about the cost is, Moving on to, to um, the benefits. Hmm. So personally, I find teaching a class that you know has a structure based on three-dimensional learning much more fun to teach. And so one of the things that did um, to my course was I, you know, basically stopped performing derivations and I allocated time in every class for students to work on doing something. Mm. And I, I just found it, find it much more enjoyable because you really get to find out what students are thinking, how students are thinking, thinking about, about the content. And um, the information that you get, I mean, is actionable. I mean, if you're just standing up in front of the cl- class and performing derivations, you just don't really get any feedback whether they they understand it. There's also the question about whether they really even care to see, you know, the <laughs> derivations. You know, um, plus it's boring for you because you already know the answer. <laughs> you don't really get much out of it. It's kind of like now in Zoom seminars where it's just the one person talking, and there's this kind of I don't know. I feel like there's this habit of like everybody turning off their camera, and so they're really just. You know, they're just speaking into the wind, these poor people. Um, it feels so sad. You mentioned before, you know, one of the barriers being essentially the reappointment, promotion, and tenure sort of structure and kind of all the stuff around that. And that, um, you know, there's been a lot of different efforts to around the country, I think, to sort of to like shake that loose. You know, I'm thinking of different like teaching evaluation procedures and I don't know, all different kinds of activities to sort of take the pressure off of research being the keystone, even at a research one university. And I just wonder if you have like, have you seen that get jiggled loose at all at MSU? Like, do you see, you know, are there we, are there cogs turning in that system that, you know, give you hope that one day somebody who says, I want to spend 20 hours a week this semester transforming my course as being, you know, valued valuable to somebody who's going to look at their RPT file later? I think that this past year of COVID is at least start, has at least initiated some conversations about, you know, how do you, how do you evaluate faculty? And, you know, maybe, you know, that maybe there isn't a one size fits all 
approach to evaluating a faculty member's contributions to the institution. I wanted to ask, this is kind of a different, um, different sort of question. Um, and I've been thinking about it because of the work that I've been doing in seismic, um, which I think, you know, you're aware of, we, and we talked with uh, Ryan Sweeter in the last uh, episode a little bit about it. Um, but this whole 3DL effort, you know, like a lot of STEM change initiatives is multidisciplinary, right? It's drawing people from lots of different um, places. And that can be kind of a challenge when you have, um, you know, if you have people drawing from sort of different, I don't know, just disciplinary histories and different methodologies and um, even different disciplines can maybe have sort of different priorities. And so I was kind of, I'm just curious to get your perspective on like what has helped the 3DL team kind of stick together despite its multidisciplinary nature or maybe because of it, I don't know. Um, and a simple way of saying it is why hasn't anybody quit? <laughs> Except me, I guess I quit. You I quit, quit, Becky. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, I my story is more complicated. I get to a few more episodes, I think, if you want to go over all the dirty details. But um, I wouldn't say I quit 3DL. I, anyway, but uh, I, I, in general, right, the group is very cohesive and it works well together. And I don't know. I, I, I want to understand. What's your perspective on why that is? I think part of this, the three-dimensional learning framework as it's sort of been implemented at, at MSU it does take into account the disciplinary differences. So I think one of the things that was really key to that was allowing each discipline to figure out what its core ideas were for the discipline and, and how each discipline approached figuring out the core ideas was different and sort of took into account the, um, the local culture within within the departments. Yeah. So I think that was that was helpful. So there was that still that sort of disciplinary autonomy, but at the same time, I think everybody could agree that, you know, if you went down the list of scientific practices, these are all things that we want our students to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And I also don't think that there's really any argument that, you know, students who are effective in engaging in scientific practices are going to also be successful in, you know, STEM adjacent fields, being able to argue from evidence. I mean, is pretty much key to any kind of career path that a student with a STEM degree might might take. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, this quote from Jeff Grable, who MSU folks will know, um, director of the hub, rolls around in my head. And he said, um, all we ever really do is make arguments, you know, and he's coming from the humanities. And I I think about that a lot. Like, that's that's what I don't know, a a lot at a very, you know, zero degree level. What people are always doing is making an argument for you know, their policy, their opinion, their way of doing something or whatever. So mm. 
I think that, I, I don't know, I found that really poignant. And I think interesting that you said, you know, that of course, arguing from evidence is going to translate really nicely. So it's a little past breakfast time right now, but they, <laughs> um, they say that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Although if you go on the internet, you can also find people that say that it prefers lunch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but kind of circling back to, you know, this idea of spread, what, what does that mean for the spread of 3DO? If it's true that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Well, I think it, it, it really means that culture is a piece that can't be ignored in thinking about how to spread 3DL. I mean, I think we're, I mean, we're up against the attitude of many faculty that, you know, what worked for them should should work for for everyone and it's a reasonable assumption for, for people to start from um i you know <laughs> i think our i think you know one of our goals should be to try you know really try to help them understand that just by virtue of, of where they are uh you know university faculty that they're not everyone and yeah <laughs> I mean, our students are different in terms of their backgrounds, their their goals for their time at time at the university. So, I mean, I think there's this there's the faculty piece in partially helping them to to better understand um, their students. The reward structure that is in place is, you know, we've talked about it. It's a, it's a barrier, and it's it's part of the culture that. It's going to have to be part of figuring out how to help help three-dimensional uh, learning spread. Hmm. I mean, I do see that there's an opportunity that we might be able to leverage sort of in this in this moment, because I think we're really starting to see a culture shift related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're starting to move beyond people just talking about, well, how do we make our faculty more diverse? How do we you know, make our student body more diverse to actually thinking about you know, what it means to make teaching and learning inclusive? You know, what, does, what does equity look like in undergraduate education? And so I think there's a an argument that could be made that three-dimensional learning can create more inclusive learning environments because we are giving students additional ways to sh to show to demonstrate their understanding. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanted to ask Lynn Marie the vaccine question because on our last episode, Ryan Sweeter said he was kind of disappointed that he didn't get to answer it because <laughs> we just went straight to Jeopardy and McDonald's. So, right. so the question, the question, Lynn Marie, is um, if, we could get, if we could give someone a 3DL jab that would make, maybe <laughs> might make them sick for a day or two, but um, in a couple of weeks, they'd be fully bought into the framework. Um, the question is, how would you plan out the distribution process? You know, who gets it first? I think I'm going to go with... I, I sort of have been waffling between the two ends, two ends of the, of, of the spectrum. So mm. um, 
junior faculty and department chairs. And I've sort of come down on department chairs because they set the tone in the department. I think that junior faculty actually are, if they're given a strong message that um, this is valued, that in general, I think they're pretty, they're pretty receptive. And if we can create opportunities for them, you know, to co-teach with someone who's experienced in um, teaching um, a course with three-dimensional learning, um, Mm. I think they would probably get on board. So I think it's, um, Mm. I'm going to go with uh, the people that have the most impact on the faculty in um, their units. Sure. Limri, where do you have your, for your most creative thoughts? My most creative thoughts. Okay. Well, <laughs> are you sitting at your computer or are you, are you, are you, is it when you let it go and do something else? Uh, I'd say like, so it's, you know, it's like first thing in the morning. So often, hmm. often in the shower, in the shower, yeah. things, things that have been, <laughs> things that have been processing overnight. Mm-hmm. You I know, think that's we, common. we get, we get a, we, I get a printout. <laughs> <laughs> you got to put it in the queue before you fall asleep. But yeah, you got to bring the wheelbarrow full of punch cards like Diane's talked about to the computer. Yeah. Creativity does not happen if I am trying to be creative sitting in front of the computer. How how does Becky rate as a podcast (laughs) co-host? I think you're both great podcast co-hosts. You're very, I mean, this this kind of thing makes me really nervous. So I am feeling like somewhat relaxed by now. Okay, uh, you don't have to answer these, Limri. There's two more I'm going to see if Becky wants to use in the future. Or you can answer them if you want, Limri. Who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate? <laughs> and the other, one, the other one is, what would I find in your refrigerator right now? That's a great question. There. Oh. <laughs> Let's see. What do you find in my refrigerator right now? There, um, there's some some spinach in the vegetable keeper. There's a <laughs> piece of salmon that we sous vided on Sunday night, which I think is going to be then dinner tonight. Um, wow. There's some leftover chili. That's picking ahead with the salmon. Well, so. Um, we no longer just cook salmon. We sous vide it and then just brown it when it's time to eat it. Because huh. then it gets cooked. It's cooked more evenly through. Hmm. You got to do air fryer salmon someday. <laughs> Limery, you were a great season ending guest to our podcast. So thank you for finding the time and Thanks for playing along, and um, thank you for the work you do supporting your chemistry students and the MSU population more broadly, and for hiking this 3DL thing up the mountain. So thanks for joining us. Okay, thank you. And um, 
since we're ending the season, I just want to also thank our listeners again. I guess <laughs> I should have been saying this all along, these things that I don't know about, but subscribe and leave a rating. <laughs> Go to 3dl4us.org to find out more, or you can Twitter us up. I don't know. I think that's how you say that at 3dl4us. Uh, yeah, so thanks. Good night. Be safe. Bye.